This is James writing. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. It's a light to our path, a lamp unto our feet. And I pray tonight that you would speak so clearly to all of us here, God. I pray for your transformation in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to us all tonight. Um, Thank you, God, for the way you speak through your word. And we're asking that you would transform us tonight. Amen. Amen. Verse 1 is so clear, isn't it? My brothers and sisters, writes James, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. I love the simplicity of that exhortation, the clarity, it's piercing. Those who have faith in Jesus are not to show favoritism towards anybody. Those who trust in Jesus as the glorious Lord of all, as James said, are not to show any preference or partiality or prejudice. Um, we're in a series in James, we're doing eight weeks together, and we've just done two weeks, and Jamie spoke the first week, and he spoke about the danger of being double-minded, that is trying to follow God and follow the world. Last week, Jago spoke, the danger of being deceived. We cannot be those who merely listen to the word of God, but we must also do what it says. And this week, if there is a title, it's the danger of discrimination, The first two weeks of this sermon series, we've spoken quite generally, as James does, but now we're going to get as specific as this is here. We're going to be as focused. He speaks into the issue of showing favoritism, preferring one person over another, and specifically he talks about the issue of favoring the rich over the poor. And together we're going to see why this is so wrong, but how we can love without favoritism. Well, as I said, this, the exhortation here is so clear. God's word condemns favoritism. But what does that mean? When I say favoritism, what am I talking about? Well, to give an illustration of the point, um, James himself gives an illustration. Read with me again from verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Now, James' example here, it's so incisive because it really speaks into the kind of thing that was happening as he perceived it in the church culture of the time. But it is so possibly what we're tempted to do now, the way we might prefer one kind of person over another. And this shows us what favoritism like, and I see that there are four elements to it from that example. The first is externals. James contrasts a man in fine clothing with a man in filthy clothing. You know, the man in fine clothing has got the bling to match, he's got the ring, but there's just a man with filthy clothing. And the only thing that's used to describe them is what they're wearing. And that's the thing that they're judged for. Favoritism is all based on external qualities. The second element, it's all based on a quick assessment. This is just two men walking into a meeting, and just on that thing happening, a quick judgment is made about how to act. In this case, it's choosing to prefer one over the other. So favoritism makes shallow and speedy assessments of people. The third element, the behavior has changed. A distinctive behavior has changed. The assessment that's based on externals changes the behavior. What's it say? Special attention is shown. Verse 3. The final element, it's all based on bad motives. What's it say in verse 4? In acting out this kind of behavior, we discriminate and are judges with evil thoughts. So when we use externals to make quick judgments that changes our behavior that's all based on our bad motives, we discriminate and we are judges of others. That's favoritism. That is favoritism. And James says there is no place for this in the church of God. To show you what I mean, I want to show a video to illustrate the illustration, as it were. And this video is of a social experiment and a man in Paris decided to um, conduct something where he, uh, you'll see him, he uh, appears to have some kind of accident going on, something with his health, but he's wearing two different outfits and you'll see the reaction of the people around him. So we're ready for the video. Let's watch together. How clear is that? Now, I've chopped up that video so that we can watch it speedily, but the man just lies there for two minutes saying, help me, and no one does. That's the kind of assessment that James is talking about. People see him and immediately decide not to help. And then they see the same man wearing different clothes and immediately decide to help. It's, and James's illustration just shows that video. It's shocking, isn't it? And it's so revealing. And it shows us what we're talking about and what James is condemning. And James says there's to be nothing like that in the church. We are not to show favoritism. And it's a kind of judgment when you say to one person, you have the place of honor, and to another person, you just sit on the floor or you stand. 
And this is a judgment in James' example of all based on externals. Do you see that? It's all based on what they are wearing and whether they are perceived to be rich or poor, just as in seems to happen in the video. Now, the main application of this passage and what James is talking about is discrimination towards the poor, those who are poorer. But it speaks into many things, doesn't it? Those who believe in Jesus Christ are to show no favoritism. Therefore, we are not to prefer people of a certain age or a certain race or anything. We are not to judge and prefer others on how they look or how they speak or how they dress. But the truth is we do, don't we? We make judgmental assessments of people. And this can happen in so many ways, overt ways and smaller ways. Maybe the one of the ways it happens here is that what we'd be tempted to do is to only make friends with certain kinds of people. And HCC, we cannot be a church that is full of cliques of people who are just like us. That's not the kingdom of God. That's favoritism. Jago spoke on Vision Sunday about being a contributor and not just a consumer, being a crew member and not just a passenger. And part of the way we're to live that out in this church is to not show favoritism towards anybody for anything no matter how subtle. I mean, as I'm talking about this, really what James is getting at, it actually sorts out your priorities. It actually reveals the kind of things that we value in others actually shows us what we worship, the kind of things that we value because we look for the other people. Did you notice the description he gives of Jesus Christ in verse one? How's Jesus described? Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In other translations, it will talk about Jesus Christ, the glory. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. And God is said to dwell in unapproachable light. In fact, we cannot go into God's presence without a mediator. If we were to see him, we would die. Jesus is so glorious and he is so worthy of praise. And yet we are so distracted. And we don't value his glory. We value earthly things. We value earthly honor, earthly glory. You know, we value fame and importance and I mean, imagine if you're in church and you're worshipping away and you realise that the old lady next to you in the pew is not just a dear old lady who's well-dressed, but it's actually Queen, the Queen Elizabeth. And suddenly you realise, you go, and you go, oh my goodness, I think that's Lizzie. And you get out your phone and you're trying to get a subtle photo, just hanging out with Liz, me in here. Would you be distracted in worship if the Queen was next to you? Yeah, I would. Now imagine if the glory of the Lord filled this church and for just a minute God allowed us to glimpse him in all his glory would we be distracted absolutely not would it matter that the queen was next to us absolutely not when we show favoritism what we show is the state of our hearts is we are not valuing the glory and worth of God we value earthly things Because we value people based on earthly qualities, outside things, external qualities. And this, as I said, can be shown in many ways. Maybe it's shown in our friendship circles. But let's also not be people who do the socially acceptable form of what James is talking about, which is to uh, discriminate against the rich or the people we think of as posh. You know, there are some people, they talk in such a way that a crash is both something that happens with children on a Sunday morning and between two cars on the road outside. Now, maybe I can make that kind of joke, or maybe I shouldn't be able to, because I think maybe we wouldn't smile or laugh if I were to imitate how somebody else speaks. 
It's very easy to fall into this in many ways. We must all face up to the challenge if you're not showing favoritism. And particular, particularly, says the word of God, we, not must, we must not be biased against those who are poorer. Now, some of us might want to say, actually, look, Tim, I don't struggle with this. Amen and hallelujah. Keep going. But also, we might want to ask ourselves, if we don't see ourselves struggling with this, is that because there's just never any chance that we're going to come into contact with the kind of person that James is talking about? Do we live in such a bubble that actually we'll never meet someone who is genuinely poor? Actually, is our bias already shown in the fact that we'll never come into contact with the kind of people that we might be tempted to discriminate against? I speak to myself here. I speak to myself. As I was preparing this sermon, I I felt like God was convicting me about various things and judging people on various things. I know that I've seen people walk into this church and churches I've been a part of and literally based on how they're dressed, I've thought, here comes trouble or here comes someone who might disrupt the service. I'm not proud to admit it, but I too make judgments on people. We cannot be those kind of people. It's condemned so strongly. Read with me verse 9. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted. It's put in the strongest possible terms. You sin and are convicted. That's such a strong challenge. And if we fall into it, it reveals that we do not see and we do not love people in the way that God sees and loves people. We see, again, I've quoted it already, verse 1. It is those who have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ who are not to show favoritism. I wonder how many times I can use that word in this sermon. How many of you know that God loves without favoritism? God doesn't show favoritism. There are so many examples from Scripture that I could point to show this. When the Lord is speaking to Moses and he's just given the Ten Commandments, in Deuteronomy 10 he says, this is the Lord speaking about himself, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. And partiality there just means no bias, no prejudice, no favoritism. Sometimes our passage in James uses the word partiality and not favoritism. Romans 2, 11, for God does not show favoritism. The context there is that God will love and judge both Jews and Gentiles equally. Job 38, 18 to 19, is he not the one, is God not the one who shows no partiality to princes and does not favor the rich over the poor? For they are all the work of his hands. God says, I don't simply value what the world values. I don't love only those whom the world loves and the world esteems. Whoever that is, the rich, the famous, the beautiful people, the influential. God says, I love everyone equally and I judge everyone equally. For I've created everyone. And my favorite example of this is actually an example from the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees are speaking to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. I love that. Jesus is the exegesis of the Father. He is the spitting image of his dad. And Jesus, just as God doesn't show favoritism, neither did Jesus. And in fact, what the Pharisees perceived about Jesus is such a helpful understanding of what James is talking about not being swayed by appearances. Whatever that is, how someone looks, what they wear, whatever. God doesn't treat like this people like this. God doesn't look at us like that. How does God look at us? Do you remember the story in 1 Samuel where the prophet Samuel is choosing, he's going to anoint the next king of Israel. 
And he comes to a man called Jesse and he meets Jesse's sons. And he meets these fine young men who look kingly. And he goes through each one and the Lord speaks about each one. The Lord says this about one of them. The Lord said to Samuel, this is 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord doesn't show favoritism, partiality on anything external. Instead, he looks at us at our hearts. And what is the Lord looking for? Just flick your eyes across with me to chapter 4 and go to verse 6. James quotes the book of Proverbs and he says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. You do not want God in opposition of you. He opposes the proud but he shows favour to the humble. God favours the humble, the humble of heart, those who are not proud but recognise their sinfulness and his glory, those who respond in the humility of faith. And James, what James shows us is actually it's so often those who are humble in the eyes of the world who are often the most humble before God. Read with me from verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit God's kingdom? God's favor is with the humble, God favours the humble and somehow in the kingdom of God it's often the poor who are like that. He said, do you remember when Jesus was speaking about the wealthy? He said it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. We quoted this when we were talking about giving Sunday. Jesus talks about money. He said you can't serve money in God. You'll either hate one and love the other. You can't serve two masters. Money can have such a control over us Worldly status has such control over us and somehow actually it can make it so hard to trust in God, to have humility before God because the world says to us, you are something but actually what God is looking for is for us to come before him and say, you are something and I'm not. Now, this isn't saying that all poor people are believers or all the rich aren't but it's showing us that the sin of favoritism can dishonor the very people who God honors. What does James say in verse 6? He point, points this out. He says, The rich are the ones exploiting you, dragging you into court, even blaspheming the name to whom you belong. So he's saying, You are honoring the very ones who are dishonoring God, even taking his name in vain. And you are dishonoring, he says, You've dishonored the poor. You are dishonoring the one whom God chooses, the ones whom God chooses to be rich in faith. We must look and consider and treat everybody as God treats us, without favoritism, without judging based on anything external, whatever the priorities of our hearts show that to be. And specifically, we must never show favoritism to those who we think are important or those who we think are wealthy at the expense of somebody else. There are some people who are due honor. If Queen Elizabeth II came here tonight, I would want to honor her, and I hope that we would as well. But what he is talking about here is honoring someone at the expense of someone else based on nothing but how they look. And we cannot do that. We must not do it in the world and we must never do it in the family of God, the church. So how can we love without favoritism? How is that possible? Well, the principle James quotes in verse eight. 
Read with me, verse eight. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Remember Jesus, when Jesus was asked what the most important law is, he said it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said everything else in the law of God is summed up, it hangs on these two commandments. So James says, if you're doing that, you're doing right. And I think we know that. That isn't, if we're following God, that's not news to us. In fact, even people who don't follow Jesus have heard his teaching that we're to love our neighbours as ourselves. And actually, as we talk about the poor and those who are poorer tonight, that might bring up, many of us will know, actually, yes, as someone who follows Jesus, I am to show favour to those whom God shows favour to. I am to help those who need help. I wonder how you've reacted to this tonight. Even as I talk about the phrase, the poor, what does that do? What does that bring up for you? For some of us, this is very close to our heart. For some of us, we think it should be and we feel guilty. For some of us, it's like, here's something I must do. I must follow this command. Love your neighbor. But what's the motivation? Why? How can we do it? The answer is in verse 12. James says the answer is mercy. Mercy. Speak and act, verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins. Mercy triumphs. That's our motivation. We must learn to love and consider others as we have been loved by God. With mercy. We are going to be judged And if we are in Christ, we will be seen in his righteousness and not our own. Actually, we will find freedom. Because God has mercy towards us, poor sinners. Verse 9. This is the principle. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And he's speaking about specific things. He's speaking about favoritism. He's speaking about adultery. He's speaking about murder. But in a sense, he is giving an assessment of everybody who's ever lived. What James shows here is it's possible to break just one of God's laws. It's possible to not just do one thing that God has called us to do. And therefore, we are guilty of breaking all the law. We become a lawbreaker. It's like this. Let me give you this illustration. I do love golf. And um, I like playing golf. Uh, Not surprisingly, if I like golf. And there's a great feeling when you walk up to the first tee. You're getting ready. You know, I've got, you know, I'm ready for the day. There's nothing like the start of a round of golf. It's all possibility. Nothing's gone wrong. I've got my peanut butter sandwiches. I'm ready for anything. And I come there and I'm ready to take a shot. And as is wont to happen with me, I hit a shot and it just slices off the course and I hear it hit a house now when I told this story this morning I think some people thinking this has actually happened to me this is an illustration okay so in this example the ball has flown right and it's hit a house because I'm a good Christian I don't swear and I say well we better go check out the problem check out the damage and as I walk over you know I see a man coming out of the house and he's very angry he's saying is this your golf ball it says the Reverend Timmy J on it is that you yeah it is sorry But then I look, and where I'm expecting to see just a small window, I see a huge plate glass window, massive, 
14 feet wide, 20 feet high, or the other way around, that's more like it. Huge. And my heart sinks. But then I realize, oh no, I've only broken a tiny bit of it. There's just a golf ball hole in the bottom left-hand corner. And because I'm feeling magnanimous, I say to the man, look, don't worry, I'll pay. I'll pay for the damages. I'll give you 20 quid. And he says, 20 quid? What do you mean? This window costs 10,000 pounds. Can you see where I'm going with this? In breaking just one part of the window, I'm guilty of being a window breaker. In breaking just one part of God's law, we're convicted as being a lawbreaker. And the price to pay is far more than we could ever afford. And James says, even with the small, seemingly insignificant sin of favoring one person over the other, even with the sin of favoritism, actually we're convicted under the law and we become a lawbreaker. So is guilt the answer? Is guilt the motivation? There is, that's one approach. I think that's part of the world's approach. There's an approach that basically says, well, if you've got a lot, then you owe people who don't. And the tone of that can be very coercive. And it intends to bring about guilt. The answer is not guilt, says James. The answer is receiving and giving mercy. Mercy. It's not judging others as we show favoritism. No, because mercy triumphs over judgment. As the illustration shows, as James says, we're all guilty of breaking God's law. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And therefore in our sin, we're all poor before God. Nothing external matters, whether we're rich, whether we're famous, whether we're not. See, God doesn't look at the outside. Remember? God looks at the heart. And in our hearts, what does he find before Christ? He finds our own selfish desires. He finds the ways that we've gone our own way. He finds sin. And so every from, from the destitute to the well-off, we are all far off from God. We bring nothing to God. Even our good deeds count for nothing. Yes, we're loved by him. Yes, we're created by him. Yes, we're all loved equally. But we are judged equally. And when God judges us, what does he find in us? When we come to God, to use the imagery of James, we are like the poor man in filthy rags. When we come before God, we are like the man who has nothing, who owns nothing, and is a bit smelly. We've got nothing. We are the poor man in filthy rags. But it is the mercy of God to take poor people in filthy rags and then clothe them in the righteousness of the Lord. We go from being the poor person in filthy clothes to being the person clothed in fine clothing with a ring on the finger. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The one who, when he comes to the Lord, he is clothed with the family cloak and he gets the family ring on his finger. And the father says, rejoice with me, my son who is dead is now alive. That's what the mercy of God does. Yes, we are filthy in our sin, but Jesus Christ has paid the price on the cross. He has taken upon himself everything we do And actually, Jesus Christ gave up riches for poverty so that through his poverty, we might become rich. And that's mercy. That's the mercy of God. And that is how we are to treat people. We go from being poor to rich. We go from filthy rags to fine clothing. We go from not even being let into God's presence to being seated with him in the heavenly places as his son or daughter all through the mercy of God. 
And that is our motive and that is our method to everybody we meet, but especially to those who are poor. Mercy. We are, and we are to show mercy to everyone because we have been shown mercy too. We are sinners saved by grace alone and we know we have received God's charity. We know we didn't work ourselves out of the situation and therefore we must look to everyone and, and be merciful. We should be gracious because God has poured his spiritual riches onto us. We're all poor before God yet we get his riches. We get his mercy. And therefore, HCC, let us never be a church that shows favoritism towards anybody. But let us learn to love with the kind of mercy that God has first shown us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And I pray what is of you tonight. I pray it would remain. And I pray where you've challenged us and you've spoken to us, God, I pray that it would remain. But what is of me, God, I pray it would fall away. I pray for your transformation in our hearts and in our lives, God. I pray for your transformation. I pray that in this area, as with every other area of our lives, God, we would be like Christ. So I ask for your grace tonight, God. And as we take communion together, help us remember and help us worship you for the mercy that you have shown us. Thank you, God, for everything you've done for us. And I pray that we would live in gratitude and love everyone we meet.